This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is wonderful to have you with us. It is another installment of the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. And Gary, the hot stove is heating up a little bit for the Mariners. Uh, Nothing official yet, but... Multiple reports, in fact, all the reports indicate that James Paxton is coming back to his home in the Northwest. Ken Giles will be joining the Mariners as well. Uh, physicals are pending, but this is uh, exciting stuff on the Mariners front. Well, James Paxton reported it himself, so I feel pretty good. <laughs> the show coming up. No, we are going to talk about it, and we're going to get some, a national perspective and a local perspective on it, too. J.P. Morosi will be here. Uh, which is always fun. Great guy to talk to. He's going to give us his thoughts on Paxton and a little about the Mariners and about the division and big picture stuff as well. And Meg Riley from Fangrass will be here and she's going to talk about Paxton as well. This is a big show. We'll be uh, joined by Mariners reliever, Eric Swanson also coming up later in the first hour, but right now we say hello to Mariners catcher, Tom Murphy, who joins us right out of the gates. And man, we missed watching Tom play last year, missed the entire season because of a foot injury. Tom, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you once again. How have you been? I've been doing much better since the last time we talked. Um, yeah, I'm feeling great down here in Arizona, getting things going, and uh, excited for things to start. Hey, we, we got a lot to cover, but I just <clears throat> want to start by telling you, my wife is a is a Mariners fan, of course, and she's I would say she's fairly dialed in, given the fact that there are three children running around her house, and she has a, a lot of things to manage in our lives besides uh, Mariners baseball on the field. But she asked me, she said, hey, who who are you guys having on the show tonight? And I went through the roster. And, of course, Tom Murphy was one of the names. And she said, Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy, is that, is he the tall guy? And I said, well, you know, he's, he's fairly tall. They're all, they're all pretty tall. And she was, I could tell she was still kind of grasping for Tom Murphy. And I said, he's the guy with the with the bear behind him and she's all oh, right Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, you feel good knowing that you're the only person probably in the history of mankind who has been introduced as the guy with the bear behind him and if somebody who's listening doesn't know what we're talking about just go to YouTube and search inside corner Tom Murphy on the Mariners YouTube channel YouTube page and you'll know what we're talking about so I think you feel very good knowing that that is great. And uh, I'm hoping my gameplay this year will help kind of make people re- remember me for something more than a bear in a cartwheel. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's kind of my goal, I guess, for this year. <laughs> well, nevertheless, both those things are very good to be remembered by. <laughs> we're, we're so eager to talk to you, Tom, because the way that your career was going when you came to the Mariners and you had this breakout season and you were such a major part, not only of the on-field production for the Mariners, but if you want to call it the leadership group with the Mariners as well, you were center stage in, in both those facets on and off the field. And then you had this debilitating foot injury last year that cost you the entire season. How did you process that emotional roller coaster of coming in, knowing that you would be the guy to all of a sudden you can't suit up at all? Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of been in that place before. Um, I kind of had that opportunity with the Rockies back in 2017 
where I was coming off of a second half in 2016 that kind of solidified me as being the guy that to, to take, to take over there to catching duties and get the bulk of the time. So I went into that camp with that expectation as well. Um, and I came out kind of in a similar position. I, I broke my wrist at camp, uh, trying to throw down the second, uh, you know, the batter was swinging and I happened to just run into his bat as I was throwing. So I broke my wrist and was kind of in an odd, in an odd position with a cast for like eight weeks. And so it took, a, it took a bit for me to come back from that as well. And I, I had lost that opportunity um, by that point because the Rockies were in a playoff hunt and, you know, it's real hard to trust a rookie catcher coming in in June, July to, to take over full duties and, and to be, you know, trustworthy right off the bat. So I kind of lost that opportunity. And, uh, you know, last year kind of felt very similar. That's for sure. How are you thinking about this year going into camp? I think it's a little different than when I, you know, was with the Rockies and, and the experience I had there because, you know, I'm, I'm coming off of a 2019 with the Mariners where things just kind of seemed to come together for me for the first time, uh, in the big league setting. You know, I knew I had had that type of success in the minor leagues, but, uh, to be able to go out there and do it at the big league level, you know, not only gave me enough confidence that I could do it myself, but also I think it gave the team enough confidence to realize that, you know, I was, I was ready and prepared for that role. Joined by Tom Murphy on the Hot Stove Report. Tom, what were you able to take away to make yourself better during the time away from the field? That's a good question. You know, I, I watched every game very intently. As much as my pitchers may not know that I'm doing those sorts of things, um, I'm gaining a very, you know, keen understanding of the way they do things and the way that they operate during games. And, you know, that's not only the physical side of things, but also the mental side of things, you know, and, um, you know, just watching from afar is obviously not as advantageous as playing, but um, I feel like when you watch it through a lens of, you know, that's my guy out there, that's my teammate, and what can I learn from it? Then you, you see a lot of things open up that you normally wouldn't when you're just watching a baseball game. I was just thinking about how you watch a baseball game. It'd be interesting to sit next to you while you watch a game, and it's got to be different than a fan watches a game, right? I mean, what kind of details do you pinpoint on when you watch a game? It's funny you mentioned that because, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I feel like I, I think ahead way more than what I'm seeing in the moment uh, when I'm watching a game. And it's funny because I, I had a, my first catching coordinator's name was Marv Foley back with the Colorado Rockies, uh, very old timer, old school type guy, um, really helped me along in my path. I talked to him about this very question you know, at the time. I didn't understand, but he, he said he just, he, he had a difficult time watching out on TV because you just have that different lens. It's not, it's not like something you enjoy. It feels a little bit like work. And, um, you know, even though I enjoy that aspect, it is different while you're playing and you're watching your guys out there doing their thing. Cause you know, you're not just watching it for your enjoyment. You're watching it, for, you know, to hopefully make your teammates a little bit better. So, um, to have that kind of critical lens is, is something that's a little different than the average viewer. Did you find yourself in your head calling the game like the catcher would be calling a game if you were behind the plate? No doubt. I mean, I think I do that. Anytime I watch a game, whether it's us or, or, you know, a different team or whatever, it's just kind of ingrained in who I am, I would say, at this point in my life and my career. And um, it's fun at the same time. It's like, you know, hopefully someday I'll just be able to watch baseball and not have to worry about anything like that, you know, hopefully a long ways down the road. But, yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy both sides of that. So did you have communication with your pitchers, just whether it be through text or phone calls during the course of the season to, to relay what you were seeing? Yeah. So, um, you know, for about half my time, uh, while I was on the aisle during the actual season, I was, 
I was in Tacoma and Seattle simultaneously. The team would go on the road. I would go to uh, Tacoma, and when they're home, I'd come into the to the regular stadium. So I had a lot of good communication with the pitchers during that time. And then about halfway through, I went to Arizona because we needed a, a spot in uh, Seattle for a player to come in and, and participate in summer camp. And, and uh, the, the season was Seattle. So I, I came to Arizona and, um, you know, it, from there on out, I was just texting. So that communication wasn't as ideal as seeing somebody at the ballpark every day and having a you know heartfelt conversation with them. You think about this spring. I mean, it's been what, since July that you played in a, a game type setting with summer camp. Is there anything different uh, as you approach the spring, how much you want to play, how many bats you want to get, or is it just kind of a typical spring? You know, I, I always treat spring training kind of similarly as, as what I'm feeling now, to be honest with you. I, I always want the reps. Um, the reps are what make me feel prepared. You know, I'm a person that needs a lot of reassurance when it comes to that and, and just being out there and getting back into the flow of game. I, I'd rather be over-prepared come April 1st than, you know, a week behind. So I'll always take the reps during spring whenever they're available. And uh, that's, you know, obviously what I feel like this year for sure. Mariners catcher Tom Murphy, our guest on the Hot Stove Report. I was talking to your skipper a couple of weeks ago, Tom, and I asked him about you and how he would go about managing your situation to start the year from the standpoint of, as Gary referenced, you haven't played in an actual game in so long and what type of adrenaline rush it must be for you when you do get back on the field in a real life game, not spring training, although that I'm sure will feel like game seven of the world series to you at this <laughs> point, but an actual opening day, regular season game and how you keep Tom Murphy from trying to hit a home run in every at bat. Is that something that you have thought about? Uh, is that a concern of yours, how you would tap the brakes a little bit? What's your thought on that? Uh, that is usually something that's always at the forefront of my mind and where I need to be every day with baseball. Cause I, I feel like I could be that person very easily, you know, showing up to the ballpark, um, uh, with just way too much energy and adrenaline and, and trying to do way too much. So that's, that's been a pretty constant part of me. Obviously this is a little different because I've had such a lapse in the last time I played, but at the same time, you know, this is something that uh, is, is definitely, like I said, a part of me and the excitement that I bring with pretty much every day I'm at the field. So I'll do the best to kind of hone that in and be prepared, <laughs> but uh, there's really nothing like that, uh, that response that you get when you're actually out there. Thinking about this year with you and, and the team, what are you looking forward to most about this upcoming season? Uh, feeling like I, I, you know, I'm a part of the team again. You know, I think when you're away from the team and, you know, like I said, I came to Arizona and, you know, really away from guys and just being able to text and watch games, you don't really feel like you're doing much. I, I would say that's probably a pretty natural reaction to, to that. But um, my mind goes to those guys that have Tommy John just sit there for a year. I mean, that's way more of a mental hurdle. I think people understand. And uh, I got a little taste of that from last year. What did the, first of all, let, let's just talk about the foot for a second. At, at what point did you feel like you were fully recovered from that and you were able to go full tilt Tom Murphy off season activities like you normally would? Yeah. When I first got home, which was around, you know, the beginning of October, it was feeling pretty good. It feels like, you know, we were in the right direction and we were kind of slowly progressing from there because, you know, we, at that point we didn't have to rush anything. So by the time November kind of came around, I felt like I was, you know, I was, I was sprinting. I was doing everything I normally would in an off season and I uh, felt pretty confident about it. So I would say, you know, around that November flip of the calendar was, was around that time. As Aaron puts it, uh, I assume full tilt, 
Tom Murphy activities means like lifting boulders and <laughs> jumping over small buildings. Like what, <laughs> what do your off season workouts look like? Oh man. So they're, I mean, they're intense for sure. I, I have my days and, uh, you know, the reason why is because it's something I really enjoy. <laughs> it doesn't feel like we're like, I'm actually working when I'm doing those things, but, uh, man, the setup was brutal. I, I would usually train before my kids got up. So get up at like five and, you know, everything we have is out in a garage and, you know, there's no heat or, uh, you know, insulation out there. So <laughs> training there in the, in the winter time was pretty rough. Some mornings it, it took a little extra motivation than usual, but you know, you get through it. Now, for those who aren't familiar, you are in the off season when you're not in Arizona, like you are, as we're getting ramped up now, you're, you're in New York. You are how, how far into, uh, not like Manhattan, New York, are you, but more towards Tom Murphy, there's wilderness for me to get on my ATV and roam New York. Um, we're a ways away. I mean, I think we're a solid four and a half, five hours from New York city, um, North East of there, or sorry, Northwest of there. And, um, you know, we're compared to what I would think most people kind of came up with in major league baseball. We're in the middle of nowhere. So it's, uh, it's something I really enjoy about my life and something I don't think I'll ever change. Will you tell us and describe for us as best you can what your home gym setup is like? <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's pretty rough cut. I mean, it's nothing crazy. It's just a power rack, a uh, barbell, and like a adjustable dumbbell, some horse stall mats. Those are great. That's about it, honestly. And I, I just make it work. You know, I feel like that's absolutely everything an athlete needs to get better. Can you tell us, give us just a glimpse of what, a typical workout looks like it, it, I mean, it's nothing like it's nothing groundbreaking. I think it's more the intent behind it. That is what is different than most people. Um, you know, I, my days are scheduled based off of intent really. Um, so you have your high intensity days, you have your low intensity days on uh, high intensity days are they're full bore. I mean, they're, you know, what I would call circa max, right? Somewhere near your max effort in, in certain things. So, I mean, it, like I said, the movements are very basic. It's more the intent that kind of is the difference maker, in my opinion. When a ball player is working with a strength and conditioning staff for his ball club, there are some guys who get to the majors and all that they know about this is what they have been told in terms of personal performance, workout, uh, high performance as, as the Mariners have branded it and, and probably other teams as well. And then there are guys like you who you're really a disciple of this. You're a student of this. And it seems like if you weren't playing baseball, this would be a possible career path of yours. Uh, how much do you work with James Clifford, Mariners strength and conditioning coach and the other guys? And, and how much do they just say during the off season, Hey Tom, you go do your thing, man. And we'll catch you in Arizona when it's time for pitchers and catchers. Yeah, I think it's a good balance of both, right? Um, you want to always keep an ear open for things that you don't know, um, which is where obviously Cliffy comes in and, and Derek Cantiani comes in. And, you know, I, I always am open ears when it comes to those sorts of things because that's their, that's their job. You know, they're, they're designed to be there to help people out. Um, but at the same time, obviously, like you mentioned, like there's a passion for it on my end. It's something that I've always been intrigued by and something I've kind of refined over the years. So, you, you know, you take the, the idea of being open with also kind of sticking to your plan and it usually comes out as something pretty effective. As we wrap things up with Mariners catcher, Tom Murphy, Tom, I am curious to know during the off season, what was your, what was your go-to guilty pleasure snack? Oh, 
that's an easy one. My everybody in my family, I think, could confirm this. It was cinnamon toast crunch. I was going through boxes of that. That was just that was it for me. <laughs> I'm a little bit on the I soggy mean, like, side, you... which really upsets other people. But yeah, that's that's it. Are we pouring this into like a mixing bowl and going eating half a box at a time, or are you doing normal sized portions of this just at a, at a high rate? The bowl was heaping. I mean, there was no like cup measurements or anything like that when it comes to cinnamon toast crunch. You just you pour until you can't stop anymore, and hopefully, there's enough room for milk. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. Thank you, Tom. Uh, that is. Uh, even better answer than I could have imagined. Tom, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. It is, it's a real treat to catch up with you, son. We can't wait to see you in spring training. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. That is Mariners catcher Tom Murphy joining us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Well, the Mariners team store is ready to help outfit you for the 2021 season at any of their four convenient locations. Or if you prefer, you can also place an order by emailing Mariners team store at mariners.com to arrange delivery or curbside pickup. For information and hours, just go to mariners.com slash team store. Just underway tonight on the Hot Stove Report. When we come back, we're joined by national writer J.P. Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports. J.P. joins us after this timeout. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we are excited to be joined by a guy that you see and hear all the time, an MLB Network insider. You see him on Fox Sports as well. You hear him on MLB Network Radio. John Paul Morosi joins us from his warm home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's fresh off the frozen ponds. JP, it's great to see you, my friend. How are (laughs) things going in your world? Aaron and Gary, it is great to be with you both. Uh, yes, we have not seen a temperature above 30 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for some number of weeks now, it seems, which has been great. Uh, the pond hockey has been tremendous. So I- I'm sending all those good hockey vibes out to the prospective Kraken fans in, in the great city of Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, no, it's great. It- it's been uh, great to be outside with the kids. We've really enjoyed it. And, uh, and it really does make you all the more grateful when you see those first pictures of spring which we'll get this week, pitchers and catchers reporting. So when you see those glimpses, it tells you there's some hope there uh, coming pretty soon. So it's great to be with you guys both here tonight and uh, talking about baseball. Yeah, we are. Uh, it, by the way, it's never felt quite as much like Michigan as it has in Seattle <laughs> this week with our snowfall, as uh, you know about. But, hey, we are, we're getting excited very much so for spring training, for the upcoming season for the Mariners and the the hot stove is uh, finally uh, putting off a little bit of heat these days uh, in our neck of the woods. Uh, we, there's a, a, a couple of moves that are, though, they are not official yet for the Mariners. Some physicals still need to be passed. Uh, they've been widely reported. Uh, first, let's talk about the headliner. Uh, James Paxton is coming back to the great Northwest. Uh, we're excited to see James once again in a Mariners uniform. Your initial thoughts when you found out of the, the deal, the one-year deal, it sounds like that we'll be bringing James back to Seattle. The great fit, certainly, I think for him, knowing the, the, the medical staff there, knowing the, the front office so well, the trust, I think, was really key. Of course, uh, not far from where he grew up is another uh, key factor, too, for James. But I, I think overall, this is going to be a, a year where he's going to reestablish, still being a relatively young free agent uh, this past offseason, that I think it really gives him a nice chance to, to reestablish who he is and have a really healthy season start to finish. I mean, certainly we all know what his background has been first class person who just has had some injury issues in the past. But I think when he is going, uh, we have seen him be almost as dominant as any lefty in the game when he's been healthy, at least in the American league last several years. So I think that it's, it's a good contract for the Mariners. I, I like the flexibility that they have there. And really, I think you, you hope ideally he comes in and this is where 
the the 2020 season and the the pitching can almost be what you make it looking back to 2020 either an arm like James got a bit of a break or an arrest obviously that wasn't wasn't by design for him there's still been some injuries but you maybe say well the, the wasn't overall a very taxing year so maybe he will be able to come back and have a more extensive workload in 2020 there's also the flip side, which is uh, save Kohei Arihara, who comes over from Japan and, and goes to pitch for the Rangers. Basically, nobody in baseball pitched 100 innings in 2020. So it's it's going to be a mystery. But I, I think that for a team to have success uh, in the Mariners situation or anybody's situation, Aaron and Gary, I think having that uh, additional starting pitcher is going to be hugely important. And whether it's a six-man rotation or a five-man rotation, I think James Paxson is going to be able to pitch some very quality innings for the Mariners here this year. I think you hit on the absolute wild card for this season coming up with starting pitching. I, I just, it's hard to know exactly what to expect when you have a guy like, you know, headliner of a rotation, like Marco Gonzalez pitched 60, 70 innings. You have uh, young players that pitched, I don't know, 20, some didn't pitch at all. It, it's just hard to know what to expect from rotations coming into this year, which makes things I think really interesting and seasons may hinge on depths of rotations. You're right. And that's where I think from the Mariners standpoint, having flex and I think is a, is a really key move as well for them and, and, and seeing what he's able to offer. Uh, and, and you hope that obviously Kikuchi, the, the more years he, he spends in the States, the more comfortable he gets. I think we've certainly seen some glimpses of what he can do. Marco Gonzalez, I think is, is someone that really think the Mariners have come to trust a lot in recent years. That, that was, you'd look back, that was a really quality move they made for someone who I think really uh, has taken on now that, that veteran mantle for the Mariner rotation. So I, I look for some great things from Marco again and some continued stability there, but you're right. There's just a lot of uh, uncertainty. And then there's also some promise. I think arms like Sheffield and Dunn have both shown that when in the right situation, they can both deliver and, and they can give some quality innings in the AL. I think to me, I think one thing that's going to help the Mariners and is more of a multi-year story for them, but certainly applies to 2021 as well is, is I don't see, I do not see a dominant team, in the American league right now, if you, if you had to ask me who the, the best roster is one through 26, I, I might lean to the white Sox, but I, it, it, that I said that with a little bit of uncertainty in my voice, which you can hear. So, I mean, to me, if I'm a team like the Mariners who is coming into my own here, the next couple of years, and you're, you're dreaming on Rodriguez and Kalnick and what that's going to look like in, in the years ahead and Gilbert and the group overall, I, I think this is actually a, a perfect time to be a club right now in, in the Seattle situation, I'd much rather be in the AL West than the NL West and have to deal with the Dodgers and Padres. I think right now it's a good situation for Seattle all the way around. And, and I'm curious to see what the likes of, of Flexen and Sheffield and Dunn can do here in 2021 as well. John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and Fox Sports is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Along those lines, JP, as you look at the American League West, as we project things as best as we can going into 2021, uh, there have been some moves made around the division. There have been some players lost, like everybody else around the division. Uh, what is it that you are looking at and how you are seeing things possibly shape up in the West this coming season? It's a great question, Aaron, because I, I think that, uh, again, as I said, with, with the AL overall, there's, there is not that clear number one definite favorite right now in the AL West. I might lean to Oakland. But they have to find a way to replace Semyon and Hendricks and Grossman, I think, who had a very quality and quietly quality season for, for Oakland in 2020. Uh, you've got to really credit the way they've constantly been able to, to 
to work on that pitching staff. And I think Bassett is one of the great underrated pitchers in the game. Uh, you look at Luzardo and Manaya, are they able to be uh, healthy and consistent over a full season? Montas, what is he able to offer? I, I think that, again, they are, if Chapman is healthy especially, I think probably still the favorites. But let's remember the Astros, who still return a number of players, uh, came within one game of making the World Series this past year. And uh, and they may not be totally done yet in terms of their moves as well. So we'll see how many of the young arms that we saw for them in October, uh, are they able to start? Uh, how does that group come together? But that's where, for me, I, I, I think the Mariners – I look at them and, and you consider where the angels are and still having to do some work with their pitching. Perry Manassas had a very busy first winter in charge there with the angels, but I don't think that they are appreciably better than the Mariners right now. And so I think that's where if I'm Seattle, I look at this year and say, you know what, uh, being able to finish in the eighties with wins and, and, and maybe even put on a, a real meaningful um, playoff push. If everything goes great, those are things you can dream on a little bit with, with this team. It's, it's not out of the question uh, based on the way this division looks top to bottom. And, and I still think Oakland still is the class of the division if they're healthy, but they have to replace some pretty significant contributors right now with the departures there, as we mentioned, of Semi and Hendricks and Grossman. Playing that forward a little bit, looking at Oakland and Houston, where do you see their arc right now in the next couple of years where, where do you see them going mm. this couple of seasons that's a key point there Gary because obviously at some point with, with Oakland what we know is that they're not usually able to sign players like an Olsen like a Chapman those, those kinds of guys uh, don't often stay even you know someone like Bassett for example who really has has uh, has been their number one effectively and you think about someone like a Manaya um, and, and their bullpen how they're gonna have to be creative to, to make that that group work again I I think that Oakland probably still has one, maybe two more years of, of their peak. I think with Houston, again, Correa is up for, for free agency after the season is over. Verlander, they expect to get back, obviously, for 2022. But, um, you know, at that point in time, he's going to be, goodness, 38 years old, uh, I guess, by then. So they're, I think Houston maybe proved to us with their young arms that they are able to extend that window a little bit longer than we thought. Um, but I, there's some legitimate questions there in terms of, Bregman's numbers is he going to be back to being the MVP type player he was in the past uh Correa I, I look for him to have a really good platform year Altuve we saw with the throwing issues in in the postseason what an emotional and difficult time that was for him how does he look bouncing back I I, I have questions about both teams where I, I think actually the Mariners their up and coming arc if you look at this team and say okay Kelnick and Rodriguez they'll be arriving and making an impact here. I think the Mariners rise is syncing up very nicely with when I would expect a little diminishment or a big diminishment from Houston and Oakland. And I think the next four to five years for the Mariners have a chance to be really, really exciting. That's, that's exciting to hear that. That was the plan all along by Jerry and his staff to kind of get the, the crest moving at the right time. when other teams were beginning to dip a little bit. JP, before we let you go, just a uh, very sincere and happy Punchki day to you, my friend. Ah, uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Barzo Dobje, Jinkuyin Barzo. That's basically, as as you know, Aaron and Gary. So basically, uh, Fat Tuesday. It's no, uh, Mardi Gras. They can have the, the celebration in different spots around the country for Mardi Gras, but the true celebration of Fat Tuesday is the Punchki day. So for the uninitiated, find the nearest, best, greatest. Polish American bakery that's still open on, on Fat Tuesday here. And Punchki is basically like a jelly donut that is just so much goodness 
Gary and Aaron. I can't even basically describe it. And it's spelled, if you want to Google, where can I buy a punchki or search, where can I buy a punchki today? P-A-C-Z-K-I. Of course, that's how you spell it. So a uh, happy punchki day. Veshoe, veshoe uh, punchki day. Veshoe is happy. Punchki day uh, is, is how you would say that. So yes, it's uh, thank you very much. Jinkoyam Barzo for mentioning that uh, there uh, during the course of our conversation, Aaron. You know, I can't believe you that that's how it's spelled. There's, that's there's how it's 0% spelled. chance. But there's like a, there's like one of the, it's, there's the little hook at the bottom. I think it's the, of the C to P-A-C with the hook, Z-K-I. Uh, beautiful uh, tradition here on Fat Tuesday. In my family, certainly Punchki Day. You got to go out there and get it nice and early in the morning. You got to order it days in advance here in Michigan. Got a big Polish American community. And it's, it's always been a big part of the, my family celebration around this time of year. Well, he is he is the Rosetta Stone <laughs> of Major League Baseball. A true Carmen San Diego. JP Morosi, my goodness, it is always wonderful to see you and hear your voice and talk baseball and all things international as well. We get our passports ready when we have JP on. Man, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I look forward to whenever it is that we can see you face-to-face once uh, more. I, I can't wait. And I'm telling you, the, the Mariners, I, I, you know how I feel about Seattle, guys. I, I, I love your city so much, of course, with our family connections out there. My sister-in-law living there. So I, I cannot wait. I, I, you guys probably are anticipating this moment a little bit more than me, but I'm like, like close second when the Mariners are back in the playoffs, that gorgeous ballparks rocking. I, I am going to be the happiest man after you guys to be there. So I can't wait. It's coming. Uh, Jerry's done a great job. Kelnick, the great Wisconsin native. It's going to be tremendous. So I, I can't wait to watch the Mariners here in, in, in the days ahead, in the years ahead as well. That's awesome stuff. There he is. JP Morosi of MLB network and Fox sports. We're back with more on the hot stove. Here's the stretch, and the 0-2 on the way, and a swing and a miss for strike three. Eric Swanson has struck out the side here in the bottom of the eighth inning. He has put on a show in relief. Five strikeouts of the seven batters that he faces in relief. What a performance by Eric Swanson. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. We continue here, Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill, and we're really excited to be joined by Mariners pitcher Eric Swanson, who's uh, chiming in. From Arizona, getting ready for pitchers and catchers. Swanee, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you, man. How are things? Doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, definitely nice to be down and in some nice weather right now. Yeah, we've uh, we've had some snow here in Seattle and uh, like North Dakota like elements for a guy who knows a thing or two about that. Uh, tell us what the what the off season has been like for you. Yeah, the off season's been great. Um, you know came down to Arizona here a couple weeks ago and and uh, had to get out of the cold weather and it was actually a little bit tough to leave this year because we had a somewhat of a mild winter but the weather definitely caught up with everybody up there because I think it's like 30 below zero right now is is what the temps are this weekend so um, I'm glad I'm not there for sure yeah I gotta know the definition of a mild winter uh definition of a mild winter up there is when we left, it was we had like six inches of snow on the ground, and the coldest I think we really got consistency on a consistent level was probably like 20, 20 degrees, occasionally in the teens, but usually we get in the negatives, and that's when it gets a little tough to go outside. Now, you know, we had Misevich on, Swanee. We had Misevich on uh, about a month ago, and, you know, he's a Michigander, right? So he was telling us how tough he is. You know, working out in the snow, right? Paving the trail through the Arctic. But I mean, North Dakota, man, you got 
you beat Michigan, right, in terms of just overall toughness in the winter? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it gets brutal up there. It really does. And like I said, I'm really happy I'm not there right now because it's been a rough week, it sounds like. Um, but, yeah, when you get a couple feet of snow on the ground and you get into 15 below zero or 20 below zero, it's, it's tough to go outside. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can go outside, but you go outside to maybe start your vehicle if you don't have auto start. But go to the grocery store, maybe that's about it. Is that a, is auto start like a real thing in North Dakota that you that every wise person has? Yeah, you have to have it. You have to. It makes it it makes life a lot easier when you're at work or you're in the house and you're getting ready to leave and your car's been sitting outside. You know, you want to come into a warm car. As Swanee's in Arizona, by the way. Let's just go let's circle. Let's go full circle here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wimped out. What is baseball like for kids growing up in North Dakota? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio throughout like high school and a little bit younger. So that's where I was able to experience my travel ball and stuff like that. But I have a pretty good idea of, of the way it is in North Dakota. Um, you know, they don't start till April, I guess, if it's, if it's nice. Um, they do a lot of indoor stuff. So there's a few different areas in, in Fargo, where I've done lessons at in the past where kids come in and, you know, big turf areas. So they're able to kind of run through workouts and practices and whatnot. Um, and uh, some places you have big, I know softball games sometimes can be held in. We have big like bubble domes that they put over football and soccer fields in the wintertime. So people can get in and, and kind of play simulated games and stuff like that. So it's, it's different for sure. We're talking with Eric Swanson, Mariners pitcher, kind enough to join us here on the Hot Stove Report. Eric, we we want to talk more nonsense because that's kind of what that's the, our sweet spot, uh, Gary and myself. Um, but we we do want to dig a little bit into you up on the mound before we return to the nonsense. Uh, last year, uh, we saw this obvious up uptick in stuff from Eric Swanson. I mean, the, the fastball velo was up. The, the velo across the board was up. I mean, there was, a, there was a nasty factor to it there. Tell us where that came from. Uh, dad strength. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a real thing. You are, uh, you are a young father. You have a, a just recently turned one-year-old. Congratulations. How is Toby doing, by the way? He's doing great. He's doing great. Um, we're getting very close to seeing his first steps now. So it's been an exciting time for sure we're just hoping that uh those first steps can be uh injury free so and not in snow boots <laughs> not in snow boots yeah that's right back on this little turf patch of grass that we have in the backyard which is nice so um but yeah he's doing great that's good so obviously there's some dad strength involved uh i would i'm sure there's a lot of young fathers in the show who wish it was quite that easy but you obviously put in a lot of work and made some real changes can you tell us what those were exactly yeah um you know the whole dad strength was just kind of a joke that everybody kind of said last year with the <laughs> obvious uptick in velo but yeah you know i i dropped some weight going into summer camp last year um slimmed down a little bit i want to say it was like 12 pounds or so and i also didn't really have the means to you know, a real weight room during the whole COVID quarantine shutdown during last year. Um, so it was just kind of throwing a little bit and, 
And um, I mentioned earlier before we started this, um, we s- stayed most of that time up on um, my in-laws farm in Northern Minnesota. So I was able to stay active day in and day out every morning, get up and be able to at least do stuff. And I really think that that played a part in just kind of keeping me ready without having to go to a gym and uh, lifting weights and whatnot. So I think it was kind of weird in my opinion that I had that big of an uptick, but I think it was just, you know, staying active and, and then dropping a little bit of weight definitely played a factor in that for sure. You know, my velo is good right now. So I'm kind of happy to see it back again this year and uh, feeling stronger too. So we've seen you as a starter. We've seen you as a reliever with the big velo. Is that where you think your home is? Uh, yeah, right now, for sure. I think the bullpen is, is where uh, my future is going to be. Um, you know, I love being a starting pitcher. I love being a reliever. Um, and it's just being a reliever is definitely kind of where I see myself right now. Can we talk about you as a hitter? I was fascinated by your, your third major league appearance, right? You're, you're in the show. And the Mariners are playing the Padres and you're facing Margavichus. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about this with him. I mean, I know you struck out and you would have loved to get a hit. Yeah. We've talked about it a few times. Um, that's uh, that's, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> I have, I think that was probably the most nervous I've ever been in any game in my entire life. Um, I think that trumps how nervous I was in my debut for sure. Uh, my first start, pitching in Fenway that was uh that was a nervous one for me but yeah he struck me out and uh made me look pretty ugly made me look like a pitcher is what he did and then what was it the second at bat he got bunted about two feet and got thrown out at first (laughs) (laughs) so that was embarrassing too before that at bat you're facing a major league pitcher when was the last time you took an a b uh, I would have been high school. I mean, I find that to be amazing. Yeah, 2012. 2012 in a high school, and the next time you pick up a bat, you're in the major leagues facing a major league pitcher. I think that is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I had, I think, maybe like two days prior to that start where I took just a couple swings in the cage. I was, my confidence was at an all time high. I thought I was going to get in get a base hit and uh, that didn't happen, but it was, it was difficult. That's for sure. Let's talk a little football here with Eric Swanson for a second. Uh, Eric, I know you are a, I mean, you're a really pretty serious Vikings fan. Yeah. Yep. So I'm curious, you know, a lot of people listening, I'd say the vast majority listening are great Seahawks fans. I just want you to take us back to the wild card game and Blair Walsh and just that period of time in your life. Just where were you? What were you thinking? What, what was broken in your home afterwards? Just tell us. Uh, how many years ago was that? That was like 16, right? Yeah. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. That was a tough one. Um, I don't know if you know this, but postseason for, Vikings fans have been it's been very bad for a lot of years um we've had some ups Minneapolis Miracle beating New Orleans uh last year 
we can never close a deal. So it's just kind of fitting. And then obviously we've had plenty of uh, kicker moments where we've kind of uh, shot ourselves in the foot. So it's tough, but one of these days we'll get there. You sound like you're over it. You have closure. I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. I like to remember the the good games. Like, like I said, like the Minneapolis miracle. I was actually on my bachelor party uh, during that game. So we were all watching that and we rented a lodge. We, we ice fished for the weekend and uh, we were all watching the game and pretty upset. And then that play happened. We all went nuts. It was pretty cool. I'll never forget that. To clarify your bachelor party was ice fishing. It was, yes. <laughs> we rented a cabin on a on a lake in Minnesota and spent uh, three days ice fishing. What did you catch? Not one fish the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, that is the worst week of ice fishing I think I've ever had in my entire life. It was also very cold. It was about 30 below zero, so... Are you, are you a lifelong ice fisher then? So I've, I've lived back in North Dakota for to be six years now. So I've really, really gotten back, back into it uh, since I've gotten back home. But when I lived in, you know, the Midwest, Cincinnati area, I never did any of that because, you know, if our lakes froze, they were unthawed the next day. So being back there, it's, it's kind of one of my passions now. Ice fishing, hunting, just being in the outdoors in general. Who's a better outdoorsman, you or Tom Murphy? Oh, if you'd asked me anybody else, I would have said me. But Murph is, uh, Murph is, he's up there because he does the public land thing, and that's tough. He's hiking back in middle of nowhere and mountains. He's got, the, he's got mountains up in, he's upstate New York, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's, he roughs it up there. He's, he's good. We were just talking about it a few days ago. Every time we come back to spring training, we kind of catch up with each other on how our uh, adventures were in the off season. He's on the show tonight, and he's an animal. And we we always like to talk to Tom about what he has Jeremiah Johnson essentially <laughs> <laughs> during during the winter time. Uh, when when you're ice fishing, man, and you're out there for three days, and it's minus thirty degrees. I mean, the fact that we're talking right now means that you won. I mean, how do you survive something like that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few different ways you can do it. <clears throat> when, it's, when it's nicer out and it's, you know, 20, 30 degrees and you have ice on the, on the lake, it's a little bit easier because you can go and we call them portable tents. You, they pop up. You can take them down the same day. When it's really cold, you stay in what's called like an ice castle. So basically what it is, it's almost an RV or like a fifth wheel made for ice fishing. So you have bed in there, stove, TV, counter, table, stuff like that. But you also have about eight holes that are pre-drilled into the base of the ice castle. And they have, they have lids on them. You pop them off, you drill your hole through the ice, and then you fish in there. And you can actually sleep on the ice. So that way is kind of the fancy way to do it and the fun way to do it because you could go out and, you know, play cards at night and watch your, watch your line in the water and have a good time with a couple of your buddies, maybe enjoy a couple of beverages and it's fun. And I see why uh, 
you may not have caught anything and why you probably didn't care that you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that weekend, I guess ice fishing wasn't my biggest priority. Um, <laughs> but when I, uh, when I take it serious, it's, it's, it's fun to get out, catch fish and be able to bring home some dinner too. So. Hey, as we wrap things up here with Eric Swanson, uh, Eric, you were in the bullpen when Kyle Lewis made one of the great catches of our memory uh, that helped staple him as the rookie of the year. Tell us what was going through your mind when you saw that play happen. Yeah, that was insane. There's a picture floating out there somewhere of gravy. <laughs> he's, he's to the left of me when Kalu is midair. And his reaction says it all, because after he caught that, we all freaked out. But somebody snapped a picture of Graveman with his beard and long hair when he had it, and his facial expression was perfect. Um, but that was insane. Um, you know, looking back on it, it was one of, if not the craziest play I've ever seen in the game. Um, but it also didn't really shock me coming from him, because he is – He's so good out there, man. He is uh, a very, very good outfielder and just great athlete in general. So that did not shock me one bit, but it was crazy. We all celebrated out there. That was awesome. Eric, it's great catching up with you. It's, it's really fun to learn about you off the field as well and uh, some of the things that you're into and what makes you tick. So uh, we appreciate the time. We're glad that you are uh, warm in Arizona. We can't wait to watch you pitch this season and see you down there in spring training. Thanks for hopping on with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. That's Eric Swanson. We're back with more on the Hot Stove Report. The Hot Stove Report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. New feature on the program this year. We're taking questions for you for each Hot Stove Report each and every Tuesday. All we ask is that you record your question on your phone. You email to us very simply, marinerspod at mariners.com. That is marinerspod at mariners.com for a chance to, of course, hear your voice on the radio, be selected, and receive a Mariners prize pack. And this week's question comes from Zach, all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey guys, Zach Gonzalez here, calling in from Charlotte, North Carolina, longtime listener. I wanted to switch gears a little bit, ask you about a different topic, and that is the MLB expansion. Should Major League Baseball expand to 32 teams? Uh, what city should get an expansion team? And then, have you heard any rumors of cities being the major league expansion? I know I've heard reports of Nashville last year being on the table. I uh, want to get y'all's thoughts on it. I also want to say thank you for everything, guys. You have enabled me to become a better Mariners fan while living out here on the East Coast. So thanks for everything, guys. Zach, very kind words. We appreciate that. We appreciate you being such a great Mariners fan, especially from such long distance away. Good question. Garrett, what are you thinking? You got any initial responses to that? That's a great question. And thanks to Zach, who's a friend of Mariners pod. So we appreciate that. Uh, my, my initial, I will give you my honest initial reaction. I would love to see the Expos back in Major League Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm only partly joking with that. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I was just fond of the Expos. And I think it started with their cool hats, you know, the red, white, and blue hats and their logo and uniforms and everything. But, you know, as time goes on and I grew into baseball, it's just a cool team. Gary Carter and Tim Raines and Andre Dawson and Vladimir Guerrero and just 
these lists of really good players. And then in nineties, they were really good. You always wonder what would have happened in 94 had baseball not stopped. I mean, Larry Walker, Pedro Martinez, just to name a couple that they were so, so good. But, you know, as I think about Montreal too, and I think a lot of fans in Seattle, especially after what happened with the Sonics, I, I just have a, sp a soft spot for Montreal and any place that has lost a team that had a team for so long. I mean, the Expos were there since 1969, before they left in 2004. It's a long time. And they had one playoff appearance in 81, and they were, uh, felt like they were really building something to the mid 90s. It's just, it's unfortunate. And I'd, I'd really like to see Montreal back. I, given a couple situations in Oakland and Tampa Bay with uh, their stadiums, I think that still has to get squared away before. I don't know, before this happens, uh, I think Mexico is intriguing to me. There's a lot of intriguing places, I think, around the country that baseball would be a good fit in. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I think it will happen down the road. It would be awesome if it happened, Zach. Uh, my, my biggest uh, thought with it is just simply there's such a competitive imbalance as it is right now. It feels like it's hard to field enough players to make 30 teams good. Uh, we're not seeing that year in and year out. So the idea of thinning out the pool even more, I, I don't see it as a great move right now. Things change. I agree, Gary. I don't think it's anytime soon, but I do think if the situation changed somewhat uh, across the landscape of Major League Baseball, I think that would be very cool. It'd be very cool to add teams. It always is. Once again, Mariners pod at mariners.com. Simply record your question on your phone, email it to marinerspod at mariners.com for a chance to make it onto the program. Our thanks to Zach in Charlotte. Prize pack is coming your way. When we come back, hour number two of the Hot Stove Report, we'll be talking with Christopher Negron, Mariners' new AAA manager in Tacoma, former Mariner himself, and Meg Rowley, managing editor at Fangraphs, joins us next. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We're joined right now from her home here in Seattle by Meg Rowley, the manager, managing editor of Fangraphs. She does some writing there as well. You can catch her on the Effectively Wild podcast, one of the co-hosts there. They are beginning their uh, season preview series, which is always a great prep listen for those of us uh, who do this for a living. We say hello to Meg. Meg, it's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we are thrilled that you're here, and we're excited to talk some Mariners, talk some fan graphs, talk some Major League Baseball in the hot stove overall. Uh, let's, get right, let's get right to the heart of the matter here, Meg. Exciting news on the Mariners' front. It's not yet official. Uh, there are physicals that need to be passed, uh, but widely reported that James Paxton is coming back home to the Mariners on a one-year deal. Uh, I'm curious to your thoughts uh, initially when you heard of this news. It struck me as a deal that made a lot of sense for both sides, right? So Seattle has said they want to engage in a six-man rotation. Paxton is clearly looking to rebuild some of his value after being injured and ineffective as a result of that injury. Um, so I think that he's a great fit for a roster that needs rotation depth. Um, if they are 
able to get a healthy James Paxton, that's easily one of the best starters they'll have in their rotation. You know, we don't have to give Mariners fans the book on, on Paxton. They've uh, got to root for him before, but um, it just seemed like a, a really good fit. He gets to hopefully launch himself back into free agency after one year, having pitched well and stayed healthy, um, hopefully regained some of the velocity that he saw dipping down uh, toward the tail end of his Yankees tenure. And the Mariners get another reliable arm in a rotation that, you know, has a good deal of upside, but also has some questions. So I, it made a lot of sense to me. And I think that in a, in an off season that has been quiet, as far as the Mariners are concerned, you know, a little bit of good faith to your fan base goes a long way. Um, it's nice that he will be a contributor this year. I don't mean to knock Ken Giles, but you know, when you're signing guys like that, where a year of Tommy John rehab is part of the package, it's, it's not quite as exciting for folks who are hoping to see someone buttress a, an emerging young core of Mariners baseball. So I was excited for him and for the fans because it's always nice to have the big maple. I guess we're stuck with the big maple. We're not, we're not getting rid of that, but I think, I think he's stuck with the big maple I think, more than anything. <laughs> I think the best news about Paxton coming back home is that he can, he can have some scruff again. I mean, he right. the, the beard game going back. Cause he remember, I remember when he went to the Yankees, Within hours, he had signed a like a razor deal with Braun, <laughs> <laughs> and was showing off his clean-shaven face. Which I think, you know, James just—he's a man. He's a man of the wilderness. He looks good with a little scruff. Yeah, I think there are, you know, there are plenty of baseball traditions that we have seen sort of wax and wane of late that. Uh, we are sad to see go, but I think that a little um, loosening of the reins in New York around their facial hair policy would be a welcome change for for most baseball fans. So. I think a mustache. He's got to go. Great <laughs> look. Yeah, he he had that at various points while he was still in Seattle, if I recall correctly. So maybe you can convince him to just bust it out for the for the whole year. Although, if he has any hiccups uh, with his health, he'll probably end up shaving it all off just out of superstition, right? So I think the division is in a pretty interesting spot. Where do you see the Mariners fitting in this year with? What's going on with Oakland and Houston and the angels and everyone else? So I, I think that there's been this conversation in uh, Mariners fandom about when, you know, when is the next window of contention opening up? And we're all very anxious to see that happen. You know, my, my fandom has sort of waxed and waned over the years. And I think that um, just by virtue of my role, I'm less, you know, in the weeds than I used to be, but um, there was all this talk of 2021 and then 2021 came to be 2022. And I think that the team's assessment of where they are right now is pretty accurate. Um, even with the a sort of soft, Happening, that Angels team has a bizarrely sort of high floor. Once you have Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon on your roster, if you can surround those guys with a 500 baseball team, you're going to be a postseason contender. And I know we keep saying that, and I you know, know this will not be a popular opinion among Mariners fans, but I, I keep begging the baseball gods to let us watch more Mike Trout in October. Um, I think that their odds are a lot better than the Mariners. So at Fangraphs, um, we have the division's sort of stacking up, I think the way you'd expect it to with Houston at the top followed, uh, by the angels. There's a bit of a gap there, right? We project a, a five win difference between those two clubs, uh, and then the A's and then the Mariners who we do project to have a sub 500 record. Um, and even with reinforcements from the farm system, that doesn't seem likely to change to me, but, um, they have an opportunity to kind of figure out what they have this year, right? Um, this is a club that when it does hopefully start to sniff the postseason again is going to be driven largely by 
um, prospect talent they hope is going to sort of realize its promise. And 2020 is a bad year for a club like that, right? Where you don't have a full minor league season. The competition that guys are seeing at the alternate site doesn't really mimic game activity the way you would if they were, you know, spending the year at AAA. You're not getting to advanced player development in quite the way you want to even with fall instructional league. So I think that if the team is looking at this as a year to sort of figure out what they have, are the guys who they think are going to hit and be potential perennial all-stars really as good as they think, are there guys whose, you know, roles are going to get dialed in in a way that's important on the pitching side. If you can take advantage of that, um, and then hopefully have, a you know, a semblance of a good core and a willingness to spend money come 2022, the picture looks really different. I don't think this is their year. Uh, and I know we're all tired of saying that, uh, but I think that if they can make good developmental use of it, it won't be a year wasted. Meg Rowley is our guest here on the hot stove report. She is the managing editor among other things at fan graphs. Meg, I want to pivot a little bit to uh, more of a fan graphs conversation because it's not very often we get to speak with somebody who is so interwoven with one of the, the major uh, websites or publications within the game. But we will start on a slight Mariner's bend to this. In terms of things coming up on Fangraphs.com, uh, there's some exciting reads uh, coming our way as soon as tomorrow that Mariner's fans will probably be very interested in. Sure. So we're in the midst of prospects week at Fangraphs, where we look at um, prospects from amateurs all the way through to the minor leagues. Uh, Wednesday, our top 100 hits. So I know Mariners fans have been gobbling up uh, our our fellow publications. Top 100 will get our um, sort of stake in the ground uh, tomorrow. And, um, I think that Mariners fans will be pleased with the sort of representation that they see there. Um, I think as of last count, there are six Mariners in the top 100. Um, and then, you know, if you're looking at ahead toward what this draft class might look like for Seattle, um, we've updated our draft rankings. There are some updates on the international signing side. So if you're trying to get a sense of what the farm looks like now and what it might look like in the future, there's a lot there for you. So we hope that folks will check it out. Will people like your rankings more than Keith Law's rankings? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to make anyone feel too bad about this. I would just encourage folks to, to read the content of those rankings in addition to paying attention to the, the ordinal rankings themselves. No, Meg, all that matters is the number <laughs> that precedes the name. And if, if Julio, yeah, if Julio's number is double digits and starts with a two, then, I mean, somebody has to be fired, Meg. <laughs> you understand this, right? I, I think that the thing that Mariners fans should be focused on right now is that this is easily the best farm system the team has had in quite a while. Everyone in prospect land, every public evaluation site thinks that this is a good farm. How good kind of varies publication to publication, as you noticed, you know, some places as high as two, some places as low as 13. Um, but this is a good farm. It has quality prospects. Some of these guys are going to be really exciting. Not all of them are going to hit because that's what happens with baseball prospects. But um, I, I think that the thing for folks to kind of concentrate on and keep remembering is that you know, sometimes the difference between an ordin between ordinal rankings is small. Sometimes it's really significant, right? There's Tampa way up at the top and, um, the difference between them and number two is not just Wander Franco, but, um, this is a good farm prospect evaluators like the prospects you want to root for 
it's okay. Everything's okay. This is not the time to panic. The time to panic comes later if they don't perform well. <laughs> but this is not when you have to panic. You should save that. My mom always tells me you should save your panic for when you really need it so you can lean in. So don't you don't have to do that yet. That's okay. <laughs> save your panic for when you really need it. That is great advice. <laughs> yeah. We we should have some experience with this, you know. Our postseason drought can drive on its own without anyone else in the car. So, you know, it's okay, guys. <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, congratulations to you and everyone at Fangraphs. I know uh, this year has been pretty challenging for everyone uh, running a baseball site without baseball for a significant portion of time is a challenge. We love the site. We think it's great. And thank you. congratulations to everyone there for what has been a tough year. Thank you. Yeah, we, um, we had a hard year, but our readership really rallied. Um, I think that, you know, the baseball community can be quirky and sometimes we fight with one another, but we tend to do a pretty good job of having each other's backs when we need to. And we would not be here today if it were not for the support of our, our readers. So, um, I appreciate what you're saying, but also I think I owe thanks to everyone who has signed up for a membership or visited the site or shared our work because, um, there wouldn't be a fan graphs today if it weren't for that. So Meg, I am curious, your role in the baseball community is, is a massive one and you've been in it long enough now where I feel like you've, you've probably settled in, you're feeling a groove to it. 2020 certainly threw a curveball at everybody, but yeah. uh, you've got a good feel for the job and the expectations now that you've done it long enough. I'm, I'm curious, what is kind of a day or a week in the life of the managing editor at fangraphs.com like? Um, well, you know, I think a lot of the day to day, uh, the, the general sort of form of it is the same. The content that goes into it can vary. Um, and it depends a lot if it's the off season or if we're in, in the full swing of baseball. Um, but you know, the, the basics of it is making sure that baseball news that needs to get covered is covered, that we're asking interesting questions about how the game is being understood by front offices, how it's being understood by players and fans and trying to provide our readers with, you know, a, a tidbit about something that they didn't know before. So, um, a big part of my job is, you know, making sure the lights are on and the pieces are going up and that hopefully there aren't too many typos in them. But, um, the other part is, sort of having a general sense of the baseball landscape and making sure that we don't have any gaps where, um, you know, there's, there's gotta be a free agent signing post for, you know, for Trevor Bauer, we have to have coverage when there's a big extension or, um, when a big trade goes down. So, um, we have to do that stuff, but then, you know, I think part of what I do is I poke around our website the same way our readers do and the same way that other folks in the industry do. And, um, often I will, you know, if I spot something that I think is interesting because of how busy I am on the editorial side, the form that takes now is me pinging someone in our Slack and saying, Hey, uh, did you notice this guy's repertoire is different than it was? Or, um, I wonder who this off season, you know, who's contemplating a six man rotation can actually do that with any kind of, um, any kind of depth or certainty. Um, so, so a lot of it is assigning stuff and then, you know, some of it is strategic site direction stuff. So, um, trying to think of new features or new parts of the site that are, um, our readership might find interesting and, and, you know, talking with other folks on staff to try to make that happen. So it's a little bit of different stuff every day. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks, it's generally been a free agent signing hitting at an 
irritating time on a Friday afternoon, but that's part of the job too, right? <laughs> um, making sure that that stuff goes up. So, um, you know, I do a lot of that stuff and then because of the, um, work that I do with Ben Lindbergh on effectively wild, I have to develop my own opinions about a lot of different facets of the game. Um, the number of just things that I have to have a developed opinion on, whether it's baseball or whether we should do stuff on Twitch or what our podcast strategy can be. You know, there's a lot that when I was sitting there saying like, I find, you know, the way that James Paxton's fastball plays really interesting. This is kind of far removed from that, but, um, I'm doing a bunch of that stuff and then trying to have my own perspective on the game that I can share with our listenership on effectively wild and sleep somewhere in the midst of that. So it can kind of, <laughs> it can kind of vary, but, um, it's, it's really exciting. Most of the time I would do without the kind of excitement that we had in 2020. I don't know that I need to revisit that particular, um, kind of existential terror ever again, but, um, I, I do appreciate the variety that the job affords because, um, you know, when I worked office jobs, I, I often found myself in this terrible combination of being both stressed and bored, which is just, you know, <laughs> soul crushing. <laughs> um, and I don't have that experience with what I do now. And I work with really great people. So, uh, it's a little bit of everything and what that mix is on any given day can vary, but it, it tends to be exciting and interesting and it definitely keeps me busy. Meg, this has been such a treat to visit with you, and uh, well, thank you for your time to, tonight, but also for all your great work uh, on FanGraphs and, and all of the good things you do on the plug on the podcast platform as well. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. That is Meg Rowley, the managing editor at FanGraphs.com. We hope to see you back at T-Mobile Park next season, and when you're ready, you can attend the games you want, select the seats you want, and secure the savings you want. All for when you want with the Mariners 2021 Flex membership now available with no deposit required. For more information, text 21 to 71532. More hot stove coming right up. Hot stove report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We're joined now by the newly named AAA manager for the Seattle Mariners. He'll be in Tacoma all season long. Former Mariner himself, Christopher Negron joins us. Christopher, it's great to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Things are great. I'm excited. Some, uh, some exciting times going on already. So I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, we're thrilled. Christopher is joining us from his home outside of San Francisco in Napa. And Christopher, this is, it is a good time to be Christopher Negron, man. You have had uh, the, probably the best month or 45 days of your life. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on for you on the field this coming season. But first, we got to talk about something even more important, man. You and your wife, you are parents to be for the first time to twins, my man, twins. Congratulations. Tell us all about it. Yeah. So, uh, so very exciting times. Um, I mean, I've been wanting to have kids my entire life. And then once baseball, once I retired, you know, we kind of had a sit down. I was like, you know what, now it's, now it's a good time to start growing our family. And we didn't know it was going to double in size. We're super excited. We, uh, we found out they're going to be uh, two boys last week. Uh, we found that out. So my mind immediately went to shortstop second base combo. Um, and I can see the little league fields from my backyard. So I'm, I'm, we're, I'm super excited. My wife's super excited. She's feeling great. So um, come June, uh, it's going to be definitely a little bit different. Yeah, I like that you went to the double play combo right away. That's great. I've carried, I've carried about 30 gloves with me every time I went on a road trip in baseball. So what's carrying two extra more for, for, for the boys. So I think I'll be all right. What, what does the name discussion look like when you're needing two names, both boys? I mean, 
Have you guys already, I assume you've probably already started digging deep into this well. What's going on there? Yep, we have our list. Um, we're not sharing it. We, we've gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people about names. So that's, we're turning, we're trying to starting to figure out that we should just not share them till, uh, till they're born. So Certainly. whether people like them or not, it doesn't matter. It's just between my wife, Allison, and I. But uh, the, funny, the funny conversation is trying to figure out which name to use for which boy. <laughs> the first one's named this, second one's named that, or we wait to see what they look like. I don't, I don't, I don't know. So it's, it's, we've had some pretty funny talks. I did not think of that angle. That's a good point. Yeah. What are you going to do to balance this with your new day job? You have left the uh, player development side uh, from a kind of holistic approach. And now you are the AAA manager for the Mariners. You mentioned a summer birthday for these two little guys. What are the plans and discussions between you and your wife and uh, Jerry and Andy McKay as to how you're going to handle that? Still need to have a sit down with them and try and figure out exactly <laughs> what the plan is. But my hope in, uh, is to, to come back and, you know, whenever they're going to be born and, and, and help my wife out um, for however many days I can get. But uh, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a group effort over here, that's for sure, since it'll be in season. But my family's close by, her family's close by, and we have a great support group here. Um, so my wife, and she's strong as hell, so she's going she's gonna to be in for quite the treat, but she's a tough woman, so um, there's no doubt in my mind she'll do great. How excited are you to manage this year? Very, very. <laughs> we've, been on a, we've been doing some, uh, some group calls with the staff um, the past couple months and just seeing the relationships um, grow just in those two months, just via Zoom. Um, it's been great. And, and the staff has been, I've known them all. Josh and Derek, our trainer and, and high performance coach were mine while I was there as a player. So I've known all these guys for, for, you know, for a couple of years now. So it's been a lot of fun these past couple of months, just kind of going over, you know, what we can do as a staff uh, once season starts. So once we all get together, it's going to be just that much more fun. New Rainier's manager, Christopher Negron is our guest on the hot stove report. Christopher, how long have you known that you wanted to be a manager? I think it was always in the cards. Um, as I got older in baseball, um, the past, where I'm 35, so the past handful of years, I started kind of gravitating towards helping all the younger players out. And that just kind of became my role um, just as a leader and as, as a veteran player in AAA. And even going up and down, being an older player, even when I was in the big leagues, even though I didn't have as much service time as some, some of the other guys, I was an older player. So trying to help out the young guys and the rookies. It just, it's, it, it was very fulfilling and I had a lot of fun with it and working with guys in the clubhouse. Uh, my locker was next to Fraley's and, and Bishop and, and Timmy Lope. So guys like that, that I was able to connect with and, and help them out in Tacoma and then play with them in Seattle. Um, that kind of just really lit a fire into me, like the managing and, and kind of leading, trying to lead that next group of, of young men into the big leagues was going to be um, on my radar for sure. You played in a lot of different places. You played for a lot of different managers and coaches. Who are some of the guys that you look to in this role to take from? Um, I've, yeah, I've been a lot of influence. Rick Sweet was my first manager um, that I had in AAA when I was with the Reds. Um, and that was like my first taste of, of that level. And, and he helped me out a lot. Um, a little tough love, but that's exactly what you need. You know, you need the truth. You need to know what's going to get you to the big leagues and what's going to keep you there. So he helped me out a lot. And just thinking back, my, I went to junior college here um, out in Sacramento. My, my, uh, my coach there, Tony Bloomfield, um, he really, really molded me into the type of player that I was. So if I can, you know, take the little bits and pieces that he taught me, even at such a young age, and uh, apply it to uh, this upcoming season to the players, I think uh, it'll, be, um, it'll, be, it'll, it'll work well for all of us. 
Christopher, what do you make in terms of what kind of mindset you need to have to manage at the different levels? It's kind of like being a, a elementary school teacher, right? Like it takes a little bit different to teach in kindergarten, to teach in fourth grade, to teach in sixth grade. For you being at the top tier of the minors in AAA, you got guys coming back down from Seattle. You got guys who are itching to get there for the first time. You got this strange balance of personalities, young and veteran. From your experience as a player, what does it take to actually manage not so much on the field, but off the field, those personalities at that level? That's the great thing about this position is that I've experienced everything these guys have, you know, they're going to be going through what they've been through, being up and down, um, not playing every day, um, just those kind of struggles. And, and, and it's mentally exhausting. Um, just as soon as you go up for your 15 days or, or whatever it is and get sent back down, whether you're playing well or not. Like that's, you know, it gets in your mind a little bit. So just trying to keep these guys sharp and just focused on uh, just kind of being where they're at, you know, where their feet are, um, just take care of their business um, at the AAA level. And then, you know, the main goal is to, to get to the big leagues, but you can't get there without handling uh, your own business where you're at. So just trying to work on their mentals and uh, just keep them positive. And it, it's a tough road. You know, I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So it's just getting them to realize that they can do it and they just need to focus on where they're at and uh, good things will happen. How much of an advantage is it that you've been in player development in the organization? You were at summer camp. You, you've already been around a lot of the guys that you'll be managing. How much does that help to start this process? I've been, uh, the alternate side helped out a lot. And I was in summer camp and spring training last year and just getting to know the players. I've known, I've, I've known a lot of them just from, from being, <laughs> being their teammate. But um, a lot of the players in the organization I've been able to talk to and chat with and just kind of build those relationships up because that's, that's a lot of, a lot of this game is just, is building your relationships, getting to know these players, getting to know these guys. Um, so, you know, you can have those conversations with them, whether it's good or bad, but you know, it, it's just a level of respect and, and holding them accountable, holding myself accountable to those types of things that is really going to make the organization and its players grow. Are there some challenges kind of with certain guys changing the relationship from teammate to manager? So far it's been all right. Okay. It, it is kind of funny when you're having to sit down and, and you're just kind of laughing about it a little bit. But I think being the older player when I was a teammate um, helped that out because I was able to have those conversations when I was, you know, you know, boots on the ground with them on the field. So I think that just it just has like a little a little layer of respect in there. And, and I love these guys. I'm very I mean, they're friends, they're you know, former teammates. So you know, I want what's best for them. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'll give them that harsh truth that they need it because I'd be doing the same thing if I was their teammate also. We're joined by new Rainiers manager, Christopher Negron. Before we get to more from Christopher, a reminder that the Mariners have teamed up with Bloodworks Northwest to host another pop-up blood drive at T-Mobile Park this month. Sign up today to donate blood and help save lives in our region. Plus, if you do, you'll receive a Kyle Seeger bobblehead. Thanks to Root Sports. Visit bloodworksnw.org slash donate to make an appointment. Back with more with new Rainiers manager, Christopher Negron, right after this. Christopher Negron is our guest. He is the newly named Mariners AAA manager in Tacoma, a former Mariner himself. What is it that is going so right these days in player development for the Mariners, Christopher? Because not only is the talent there, but the process seems to be there as well. What can you share with us about that? I mean, we've done a great job with bringing guys in um, the younger levels, the higher levels. I think it's just a testament to the whole staff here. The front office does a great job of the type of people they're bringing in, the players that they're bringing in and just kind of preaching, like you're saying, is our process. 
Um, that's the main thing that we try and focus on is that you can't control the results and what goes on. You can't control whether your ball falls. You can't, that's stuff that you just can't worry about. You know, if you worry about your process, how you prepare um, and how about how you go about your business is how you're going to be successful in this game. Cause you can control those factors. And the more you can worry about and focus on the things you could control, um, the more successful you'll be. And I think that's been trickling, you know, at every level in the big leagues, um, down AAA, down to every level. And that once people, I mean, a lot of the guys are, you know, feeding into that and buying into that. And you, you're just seeing, um, you're just seeing us take off slowly, but surely. Tell us about your relationship with Andy McKay. Andy boss, man. So he, uh, he was the, it's kind of a funny dynamic. I don't know if you guys know this, but he was the head coach at the rival junior college that I went to out here. Yeah. I couldn't stand him or his program. I knew nothing about him, but the fact that he was the head coach at our, at our rival school, I wanted no part of it, but, uh, when I got traded here in 2018, I ran into him in, in the lunchroom in Seattle and I was like, Oh, how's it going? So I actually formally met him and, and was talking to him and he's a brilliant guy. I absolutely love him to death. So I've been able to, it's kind of funny how that things completely turned around. Um, once I actually got to know him and, and the guy's a brilliant mind. He, he knows, I feel like he knows everything. If I have any questions about anything, um, he's on top of it and being able to kind of learn under him this whole entire this previous season, sorry, Linus or Lucy, um, just to learn from underneath him at the alternate site. Um, we shared a suite together and we were just constantly talking about baseball, managing front office, anything you can think of. The guy is just an absolute genius. And uh, I couldn't pick anybody else to better to learn from than Andy. Okay. Oh, we, we have to clarify uh, Linus or in this case, Lucy is one of your cats who is <laughs> ambushing you in the midst of your interview. Yeah, she always tends to, she wants to be always be on camera. I don't know what her deal is. We continue our conversation with Christopher Negron. He is the Mariners' new AAA manager in Tacoma. Uh, Gary referenced your time at the alternate site in your previous role within the organization over the summer. Uh, we, we've had uh, a glimpse into it from a number of guys who have joined us on this show and who we spoke with last summer as well. The dynamic that we've heard about from Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert about their never-ending battles all summer long. It seemed like something that we might look back on in however many years from now and say, man, how cool is it back then when these two guys were doing this and nobody was watching and now they're stars in the show? What can you tell us about what that time was like specifically for those two guys? Those two are some of the most competitive people I've ever seen. You, uh, again, Gilbert's one of those guys that when it's his start day, I didn't want to look at him that much. You know what I mean? I kind of looked at him when he wasn't looking at me. It was kind of one of those things. And Kellenick is the ultimate competitor. I was making the lineups one night and, uh, his room was conveniently located across the hall from mine, um, at the hotel. And I was making the lineups one night and Gilbert was throwing and without even thinking about it, I had them on the same team. And I sent the lineups out to the, to, to all the guys. And within minutes, I got a knock on my door. Doom, doom, doom. I'm like knocking on my door this late at night. I open the door. It's Kellenick standing right there. And he's just looking at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what, what do you got? <laughs> and Kellenick and I, we have a great relationship. We go back and forth. We rip each other. It's, it's awesome. But he's like, why am I on Gilbert's team? I need to face him. I'm like, I, I want to, I want to face him. I'm like, oh, I didn't even cross my mind. It didn't even, I was just making the lineups and he immediately saw it. He wanted to face, you know, he wanted to face the best every day in and day out ultimate competitor 
And Gilbert was the same, same thing. Like I always asked him, like, hey, is there any guys you specifically want to face or anybody you want to do that? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Put in Kellenic, doesn't matter. So those guys, just the, the competitions that they had, and they had some, some, some good at-bats. You know, some of Gilbert won some, Kellenic won some other. But it's, it's a good learning experience for them both because they are top competitors, top talents. So it's, it's kind of when those guys were uh, facing each other, it kind of just feel like the whole game stopped and everybody just wanted to sit there and watch. And it's such a unique circumstance facing kind of the same guys every day. It feels like when you have ultra competitive guys like that, they really need one another, especially in those circumstances. It, it was a tough environment. Like it, it's, you know, every, it was the protocols and the distancing and everything and having a certain amount of guys trying to play in their squad games. Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was a tough environment mentally, physically for everybody. And I think that those, those matchups just kind of fueled it. And, and you got people chirping from the, from the outfield. Like we were trying to make it as competitive as possible. Like if you wanted to smack talk, you know, from the outfield while somebody was hitting, you know, let, let's go ahead and do it. You know what I mean? Let's keep things fresh. So th the fact that those guys got to face each other day in and day out uh, was, was it was a, I mean, the development between the two of them in just those few months um, was great. Hey, you got to take the field a lot, right? Yeah. I played, I played some first base, played some outfield, um, not, I didn't get hurt, which was good. Um, I used to joke around because I had turned a couple double plays and gotten a couple rundowns and stuff. And there's a, there's a plaque inside the uh, manager's office for, uh, Tacoma Rainier's defensive player of the year, 2019. So I used to just walk around with that every once in a while. Cause it was me and, uh, just kind of brag about it. And I've always joked around saying, you guys keep messing up. I'm going to activate myself type of thing, but. Um, which I have no power to do and I wouldn't do anyway, but it was just kind of a running joke with all the guys. Like I keep messing around. I'm going to take their jobs. I miss player coaches in baseball. I think that should happen this year with the Rainiers. I love the idea. Manager, manager, player. If it comes up, I always got all my gloves and my spikes handy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little slower, but I might, I, I can, I can still put on a uni and go. Christopher, isn't it bizarre to you when, I mean, you've had so much good happen in your life in such a short period of time uh, recently since in, in just the last couple of months, as we referenced with uh, twins on the way and now a managerial job for the first time in your career. It, how surreal is it for you to think that just a couple of years ago, really, you were playing for that team and now you will be managing that team. Do you allow yourself to kind of zoom out a little bit and think of all the great things that you've been able to accomplish since retiring from on the field? I've been, I've been truly blessed. Um, I didn't, my wife and I, when we were going back and forth about retiring or not, it's kind of, it's nerve wracking because you don't know exactly what the next chapter is going to be. You know what I mean? It, there's only so many jobs in this game and it's hard to stay in this game, but you know, the Mariners, you know, trusted me and, and brought me in and I can't thank them enough. Like this has been an unbelievable experience. Um, last year with like a hybrid type role for an office on field, um, and then now transitioning to on-field and managing. Um, I truly have been blessed. The Mariners organization has been great to me. And even when I was a player, I absolutely loved it here. And uh, I couldn't picture myself anywhere else. I do think about the way your career ended too. And just kind of that storybook finish, you know, going to the Dodgers and helping the run uh, to the postseason, And just in the last moment, the last hit. I mean, describe what that last time was like as a player. From my first at-bat when after the trade, hitting a home run in Coors Field um, in a Dodgers uniform. That was, that was really special. And, and, it, and just rounding it out with my last career at bat in San Francisco, you know, which I, you know, I grew up out here um, with all my friends and family at the game. And I was able to get a single 
And nobody knew it was going to be my last at bat, except for maybe my wife. <laughs> We've had random conversations about it. But standing at first base um, in San Francisco, playing against the hometown team, my last career at bat, I, I literally was standing at first base getting teared up because I knew that that was probably the last time I was going to be on base, you know, as a player. So it was pretty surreal. It was kind of a, it was, it was a nice ending. It was very fitting. So that made it a little bit easier to retire knowing that I had that happen. But yeah, it was, I get excited, a little choked up thinking about it because it, again, it wasn't that long ago, like you were saying, but I, I had a great career. It was so much fun. I wouldn't change any bit of it. Um, I met a great, I met unbelievable amount of people along the way that I still have relationships with this day. So um, I've been very lucky. Christopher, thank you so much for hopping on with us here tonight. Uh, we're so excited for you and your wife for the twins coming this summer. And, and we're so excited to uh, see you in the dugout in Tacoma uh, all season long. Thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for everything. That's Rainier's manager, Christopher Negron. We're back with more on the hot stove. Well, it's time to wrap things up here on the Hot Stove Report. We had a jam-packed program, and tonight we let off with Mariners catcher Tom Murphy. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming off of a 2019 with the Mariners where things just kind of seemed to come together for me for the first time uh, in the big league setting. You know, I knew I had had that type of success in the minor leagues, but uh, to be able to go out there and do it at the big league level, you know, not only gave me enough confidence that I could do it myself, but also I think it gave the team enough confidence to realize that, you know, I was, I was ready and prepared for that role. It was great to get a national perspective on the Mariners from MLB Network's J.P. Morosi. You guys probably are anticipating this moment a little bit more than me, but I'm like like close second when the Mariners are back in the playoffs at gorgeous ballparks rocking. I, I am going to be the happiest man after you guys to be there. So I can't wait. It's coming. Uh, Jerry's done a great job. Kelnick, the great Wisconsin native, is going to be tremendous. So I, I can't wait to watch the Mariners here in, in, in the days ahead, in the years ahead as well. Don't forget about Eric Swanson. He could factor into the Mariners' bullpen this year. My velo's good right now, so I'm kind of happy to see it back again this year and uh, feeling stronger, too. So, Always a pleasure to catch up with Meg Rowley, the managing editor at Fangraphs. It struck me as a deal that made a lot of sense for both sides, right? So Seattle has said they want to engage in a six-man rotation. Paxton is clearly looking to rebuild some of his value after being injured and ineffective as a result of that injury. Um, so I think that he's a great fit for a roster that needs rotation depth. Um, if they are able to get a healthy James Paxton, that's easily one of the best starters they'll have in their rotation. And finally, joining us on the program tonight, new Rainiers manager, Christopher Negron. As I got older in baseball, um, the past, whatever, I'm 35, so the past handful of years, I started kind of gravitating towards helping all the younger players out. And that just kind of became my role um, just as a leader and as, as a veteran player in AAA. And even going up and down, being an older player, even when I was in the big leagues, even though I didn't have as much service time as some, some of the other guys, I was an older player. So trying to help out the young guys and the rookies, it just, it's, it's, it was very fulfilling, and I had a lot of fun with it. Man, what a great show tonight. Our thanks to all of our guests who join us this evening. And, Gary, for people who maybe missed part of the show, they want to hear it again tomorrow, where can they find us? Don't worry. At Mariners Pod. Mariners.com slash podcasts. If you haven't been there, you can follow it at Twitter, at Mariners Pod. You can find them. I mean, you can listen tomorrow. You can listen the next day. You can listen every day until the next show, which <laughs> is probably the thing to do. Find it wherever you find all your favorite podcasts. Right. And we hope that this quickly becomes one of yours. Our thanks to all of tonight's wonderful guests for Gary Hill, for Bodie Rook running things for us inside of the studio. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 